Good morning, church. Great to see you. This is the day the Lord has made. We're rejoicing and we're glad in it. So good to see you. Glad you're here. Um, did you resonate with any of those questions being asked on the video? Yeah. The one that got me was, should I get a tattoo? But we were also going to give away a free car this morning, uh, just FYI, uh, to someone sitting on the front row in this section, unfortunately. So we'll have to hold that for next time. So good to have you, though. We're glad you're here. We've been talking about divine direction and trying to best understand how to track God's will and plan for our lives. And so we are going to use our text this morning from the New Testament, the book of Acts. I'm going to read verses from the 20th chapter. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And I'm going to read for us verses 22 to 24. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So thanks for doing that as you're able. This is uh, words from the Apostle Paul, and he has been in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, and he's enjoying it there, and he likes it there, and he's been teaching and ministering there, and so this is how it comes up. Verse 22, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So with God encourage and inspires today, understanding his will through his word, thank you so much you may be seated. Let me just remind you, we make our decisions and our decisions make us. Isn't that true? Who we become in the future will be based on the decisions we make today. That's how, that's how it goes. The decisions that we make today will determine the story that we tell tomorrow. Yeah. The big challenge in today's culture is that many people aren't very good at making decisions. Not good decision makers. There is a lot of indecisiveness, in fact. And we're seeing this more and more as the younger generations are emerging into our culture, that there's, there's a tendency to be indecisive. We've unpacked a few of those reasons that researchers have revealed to us, too many options, uh, the illusion of perfection, over-programming our kids, too much structure in our kids' lives so that they, they're not developing that decision-making muscle so that when they get old enough to make decisions for themselves, they haven't really been given enough opportunity for independent thinking. And, and so it has these consequences. This is a true story. One young person in their 20s trying to make a decision about his role in a particular organization was asked by his boss, do you think you battle with indecisiveness? Are you indecisive? And this is a, this is a true story. And with all sincerity, this young man looked at his boss and said, well, yes and no. And then the next five minutes tried to explain whether or not he was indecisive or not. Forbes Mag magazine produced an article recently about something they called career paralysis. That there's a generation now in their 20s, often so afraid to make a mistake in their career that they don't know what to do. My, my generation was raised by the Depression era folks. And so in my generation, the word when we were growing up was get as much education or training or experience as you can because it'll help you get a better job. Because the goal is to get a job. 
like get to work, get out of here and get to work. So that was, that was the motif back in the day. And that's how we pretty much lived it out. The emerging generations now basically suggest three criteria before they're going to take a job. What young people tend to want with their career in today's culture, number one, is they want to do something they love. Number two, they want to make a difference. And number three, they want to make a lot of money. Do something you love, make a difference, make money. Now, let me just say that those are interesting goals out there, uh, but good luck with that. Good luck with that. What you do as a career may be something you love, maybe it isn't. It might make some big difference in other people's lives, it may not. You may make a lot of money, you may not make a lot of money. But it's interesting to see that those are the three primary criteria. And so what happens when, when many of these young people in today's culture can't find all three, they move back home. This, this is why they're living in their mother's basement in alarming numbers. And so we have to be aware of this. And so they don't want to make a decision to settle for less than the best, you know, this illusion of perfection. And they look at what's out there and say, well, if I take this opportunity, then I'll, then I'll miss out on this other opportunity. And this creates indecisiveness. But let me just remind you about something. An uncommitted life. It's all said and done, boiled down to the, its essence. An uncommitted life is always an unsuccessful life. A lack of commitment always leads to a lack of success. An uncommitted life always is an unsuccessful life. So in this series that we're doing right now on divine direction, we ask the question, how then can we become more decisive? How do we get divine direction? What I want to talk to you today about is trusting God's process. There's a process in divine direction and God ordering our steps and directing our paths. There's a process, and there are, there are things that we can know about that process that will help us know that we're on the right track. So that's what I want to offer today. It's very, very practical. Here's the first thing. It's on, it's on your outline. I want you, to, want you to write this down. Four steps in God's process. The first one is this, the Holy Spirit's prompting. The Holy Spirit's prompting. Now, we pick up the story with the Apostle Paul. He's in Ephesus, as I mentioned. He loves it there. He loves the people there. Ministry there is fruitful. Life is good in Ephesus. He, he suggests that he can spend the rest of his life there. He'd be perfectly happy doing that. But we pick up the story in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. I'll put this on the screen. And he says, and now compelled by the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? What does it mean? There's a, there's a Greek phrase that's translated compelled by the Spirit. It's deo honuma. Deo honuma is the Greek phrase. Deo simply means to be wrapped around and, and pulled, or if you would put a cord around someone and just pull them toward you. That's what deo means. The pneuma, of course, means wind or spirit or, or breeze. And so this duo honuma means being pulled by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit. So Paul says, I was compelled by the Spirit. He says, I love it where I am. I'm perfectly happy, happy here, but I'm experiencing something that's pulling me in another direction. Now, this happens to, to all of us. I, 
we have some uh, exceptional cooks in the life of our church. We have group meals here from time to time. In fact, in fact, we have them on a regular basis. And recently, one of our wonderful cooks made a beautiful meal, and she in, included at the end a dessert of cupcakes. And they were very seasonal, very festive, little cupcakes. They had, they had pumpkin in them and cinnamon in them and these exotic nuts in them and this, this luxurious icing on the top. And they were fresh out of a... How many of you are ready, ready to go for right now? <laughs> and they're, they're fresh out of the oven. And my, my wife went over and got one. And she brought it over to me. Now, some of you may not know that, that for a number of years now, I've been very health conscious about my life and about what I eat. And I have not knowingly put sugar in my mouth now for about 10 years. Let that soak in. For about 10 years. And it's okay. In fact, it's, it's fine. I get, I get through life just fine. And there are other things that are naturally sweet that meet all those qualifiers. But my wife went over and grabbed one of these cupcakes recently and brought it right over and set it right next to me. And the fragrance off of this, this exotic cupcake comes wafting over my way. And I experienced Deo Honuma. <laughs> I was wrapped around by this cupcake and drawn to this cupcake. Can you feel it? Can you feel that? I did not eat it. No, because, because yeah, I've, I've been clean and sober now for 10 years. <laughs> I can't, I can't fall off the wagon over a cupcake. This just wouldn't be right. And, 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 and so these are moments that the Spirit will actually provide for all of us. Last fall, for example, I just had this sense that I needed this thought that would come into my head occasionally that I need to call my parents and invite myself with my wife, Beth, over to their home in Lafayette to have lunch with them. Just a curious little thought. And I kept push, push, pushing it back, putting it off, pushing it back, because I call them once in a while anyway, and we, we'll see them, you know, fairly regularly anyway, and no need for some kind of special trip. I just couldn't shake it, and I finally told Beth, I said, I, I just have the sense that we need to call my parents and invite ourselves for lunch. My dad loved to cook, you know, he, he was a, a, a cook as a hobby and loved to do that. And so she said, well, you should do it. So I called him set up the date. We went there. It was great. They were excited. We had a good time. It was delightful. And lunch was wonderful and in their home. And it was great. And we left. I got in the car and I said, I don't know what that was about, but it was important that we did this. And my dad, about three months later, just died. Yeah. So that was a real gift, wasn't it? But this was a, this was a compelled by the spirit moment where God just simply said, hey, I happen to know what's, what the timeline is here, and it's time you do something about that. And so we'll discover that in big ways, maybe the big crossroads moments of our lives, we might be compelled by the Spirit. I, I know God is pulling me in that direction, and so I, I'm going to have to do that. And other times it's in small ways, more subtle ways, more seemingly insignificant ways, but we'll sense the Spirit of God compelling us. Make that call to that friend. Sit down and write that note. Uh, invite, invite that person to church. Uh, you, you'll just begin to, begin to sense God wrapping you up and pulling you in a certain direction. And it's a, it's a great thing. So we have to be sensitive to it. We have to be aware of it. We have to watch 
for it. Some of you will be deo honumo when you've been prompted to get out of your comfort zone and join a small group. You've been hearing me talk about this for weeks now, and you've been thinking about it, rationalize it, and you've sensed the Spirit of God nudging you, pulling you, drawing you, compelling you. Hey, you need to get in a small group. That's going to add value to your life. It's a good thing. I should sign up for a small group. And it's a great thing. And you should. Or maybe you'll begin to hear this about your giving levels. And some of you who aren't tithers, for example, you say, well, I just sense God compelling me to do that. That's a step of faith. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, see, see what God does. Or maybe to sign up to serve, something like that. Some of you may get a deo no human pneuma uh, uh, around your boyfriend. And the Spirit of God may be saying to you, you need to upgrade your low-life boyfriend. <laughs> it's time. And you may be in the room today, you may be the upgrade. <laughs> Maybe you've been sitting in the same section of the church for weeks and weeks, and you keep, you keep seeing her. You've noticed her. But you haven't worked up the courage to walk up to her and talk to her or invite her out. And you need to do that. Deo Honuma, compelled by the Spirit, and you're going to do that. If you do that and it works out, you get married. When you have your first baby, your first son, you name him after me. You name him Greg because <laughs> I'm the one that encouraged you. Deo Honuma, yeah, compelled by the Spirit. Paul says, now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. What I'm saying is trust God's process. Trust his process. The first thought in God's process is the Spirit's prompting. Now, here's the second thought that always accompanies the process of divine direction. Number two on your outline, and that's certain uncertainty. Certain uncertainty. From our text, 20, verse 22, Paul says, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Then look what he says. Look what he says. Not knowing what will happen to me there. Not knowing what will happen. Some of you are old enough to remember that iconic scene in the movie, A Few Good Men. Jack Nicholson, the actor, he says, you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. And it's iconic. Well, sometimes that's what God says to us. When we say, God, I, I need more details. I need more information. I need to know a little bit more than just the next step. You know, maybe two or three steps before I take this first step. And here's what God will gently say to us. He'll say, uh, dear one, you can't handle the truth. You can't handle the details. If I gave you all the details up front, it would be a hindrance to you. And what I've discovered is as I reflect back on my life and decisions I've made in personal life and ministry life, it's absolutely true that if God had given me the whole picture at the very beginning, I wouldn't have had the faith for it. I couldn't possibly, I would find myself saying, well, that's never going to happen. Well, that's impossible. Well, that's, well, that's a goofy notion. Going to start from here and go there. That's, that's, not even, that's not even a practical idea. And so our faith can't reach that far. And then on, a, on top of that, if we knew about all the trials and the challenges and the suffering and the exhaustion that comes from following God's will step by step over the long haul, that's also going to be a hindrance to us. Jesus, if I knew that I was going to have to do that that many times in that many different ways, I would have never started out on this. 
Look at Psalm 119. This is a beautiful verse, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a guide to my feet, and a light for my path. Now note, this is not a spotlight to the future. This is a light to our path. Think, think of yourself walking through the woods on a little trail with a, with a flashlight. I mean, you just, you just got the light down where you're stepping. You can't see the future. You just step by step, step by step. This is the process. And God asks us to trust his process. Yeah. But I want to plan my life. Well, lots of people want to plan their life. But all you're going to get from God is the next step. Some people ask me all the time, they say, what's, what do you, what's going to happen in the future of our church? What's going to happen next? I say, I don't know. I can't predict the future. I just know what the next step is. Try to take the next step. And if I'm faithful in that step, God will reveal the next step. That's the way. But I want certainty. I want to know for sure that this decision, this step I'm taking is going to lead somewhere. I got to know for sure. So I got to see it out there a little bit further. You know, I got a five-year or 10-year plan. Well, good luck with that. Let me just say that, that I can give you this certainty. God has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. God has promised to stand beside you, to be your comforter, your guide, your advisor, your counselor, and that he will instruct your life step by step. That's all the certainty I can give you. In the meantime, uncertainty is the one thing that's certain. It's part of the deal. It's part of the process, the way it works. And so you've got to trust the process. Trust God's process. Now, here's the third thing. It's on your outline. Write this down. Predictable resistance. Predictable resistance. Now, here's what Paul says, verse 23. All I know is I'm being prompted. I don't know what's going to happen there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Now, I realize this is relatively easy to serve Jesus in our culture here in America. I mean, if you go out on the street this afternoon and talk about Jesus, no one's going to throw you in jail. No one's going to lock you up. That's true. But we have to understand something if we're going to be sincere as followers of Jesus. I'm going to put this statement on the screen because I, I want you to get it. It's very important. If you are not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, then you're not ready to be used by God. If you're not ready to face opposition in following Jesus, then you're not ready to be used by God. Here's, here's a statement. This is not hyperbole. This, this is what I know. This is what I believe. Virtually everything significant that we have done in our lives, Beth and I, and in the life of our ministry here, everything that matters, virtually everything that we've done that matters was met with resistance. Every time, all the time. That's the way it works. That's the, that's the nature of the beast. And so we find ourselves in these moments where we have to take the next step knowing full well that there's going to be buffeting. There's going to be spiritual resistance. There's going to be relational conflict. There's going to be all kinds of emotional investment. And, and sometimes this quagmire that has to be dealt with. And what happens in today's culture is folks misinterpret that resistance. And, and for some reason, folks are quick to give in, quick to give up, quick to compromise. 
Because the assumption is made that, well, I made a step in what I believe God, God's will for my life, his direction for my life, and I met with all of this obfuscation, all this, all this pushback, all of this, all of this debris in my face. And so this must not be God's will. And so folks start backing away from it. But let me just ask you this. Let's assume the devil's real. You don't have to believe the devil's real. Let's assume there is a devil and he hates you. And he is trying to find everything he can to, to steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you, knock you off track. I mean, it's like his job. And he's watching your life. Let me ask you something. Is the devil going to be on your case when you're off in left field, deviating from God's best plan and design for your life, and you're just out there making it up on your own and doing your own thing, making choices based on you know, how you're feeling that day? Is he going to obstruct you in that circumstance? Or is he more inclined to get in your face, get in your way, trip you up when you're actually laser focused, you have a sense of purpose, you have a sense of destiny, and you're living on mission for Jesus Christ? Which of those two things do you think is going to attract the most attention from someone who's trying to stop you and hurt you? It's being on track, obviously. Beth and I have learned this lesson so well that... We oftentimes find ourselves saying things like, you know, God must be fixing to do something really special because we're going through it right now. This is, a, this is hard. This is a mess. This is something. And we've learned to celebrate that. We just go, woohoo, God. This, is, this must really going to be something. And I say it again. Everything significant that we have done that matters has met, met with resistance. So resistance isn't necessarily a sign that you're out of what God's will, just the opposite. Resistance is often a sign that you're doing exactly what God has called you to do. Yeah, so, so own that. So the, the struggle that we're having today in developing this spiritual, uh, the, the spiritual direction that we need in our lives is, is sometimes complicated by this resistance. But let me just remind you, the reason that God allows this resistance in our lives is to actually strengthen us, to build our spiritual muscle. He's always preparing us today for what he has for us tomorrow. And so the buffeting and the resistance and the, and the, and the, the, the swimming against the current that we sometimes have to do is actually building in us the kind of endurance and the character and the strength, the integrity we need to take the next steps in God's best design. So trust God's process. You have to trust the process. There's the Spirit's prompting. There's certain uncertainty. There's predictable resistance. Let me just you'll go back to the Apostle Paul. You know, his name before he knew Jesus was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And he was a chief persecutor of the, of the early church. He was a Hebrew, he was a man of letters, he was brilliant, he was well-educated, and he hated anything that wasn't Jewish. And so here comes these Christians on the scene of history, and he was immediately resistant. In fact, he was there when the first Christian martyr lost his life. Stephen was a man who was serving the early church. He was a great servant of God, and they accused him of something, and they stoned him to death. Saul of Tarsus was right there giving his hearty approval to the stoning of the first Christian martyr. Astonishing. But this Saul of Tarsus finds himself not long after that heading to Damascus. He's on the road, and, and the Lord knocks him to the ground and temporarily blinds him and says, Why are you persecuting me? While this 
vitriol, why all this anger, why all this rage, why this murder in your heart? And so God sends another servant, prays for, for Saul of Tarsus' blindness. He, he receives his sight, and now his life is transformed because he's met the risen Lord. And you think, well, okay, he's ready to go. He's the apostle Paul. No, no, he goes to Arabia. We know he was there for at least three years. He's praying, he's sorting it. He's trying to figure out what the gospel is, what the faith means. He's, I mean, he's just three years. And so he, after three years, he said, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. And he goes into Damascus and he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. People got so angry with his preaching that he had to run for his life. Literally, he had to flee Damascus, run for, run for your life because they're going to kill you. And he, and he runs out of Damascus and he's nowhere now. What does he do? He can't feed himself. He's got to start making tent. He becomes a tent maker to sustain himself. And he, he reaches out to other believers, other fellowships, you know, that are emerging in the first century. And they go, we know who you are. You're Saul of Tarsus. You're bad. You're a bad dude. Stay away from us. And they, they reject him for five more years. Now think about this. This is the apostle Paul. You, you think you're in a storm. You think you're in a holding pattern. You, you're wondering if God's ever going to cause a breakthrough in your life or your work. And here's Saul now after eight years from the time he met Jesus, the, the risen Lord, some guy named Barnabas, whom we find in the New Testament, who was an encouraging kind of fellow. He actually then got to know Paul, the apostle, and he began to vouch for him. So where they would go, Bar everyone knew Barnabas. They could trust Barnabas and Barnabas says, this guy's okay. And so Paul now starts to get an invitation. He gets, he gets a welcome into the early church and suddenly his ministry is off. But think about that, eight years. Ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Let's go, I'm ready. No, you have to wait. No, but, but I'm good to go. I'm smart, I'm trained. You know, I, you know, I got knocked to the ground by the power of God. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm ready. No, you have to wait, wait. Trust God's process, waiting, waiting, waiting. Eight years of trusting the process. He's doing something in you when you're waiting because he wants to do something through you. Remember, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. It's about why you do what you do, not about what you do. And so you wait, you trust the process, you trust God. God is, God is trustworthy. This is the question that my wife in an irritating way asks me more than any other question. I find myself in these moments when I, I'm uncertain and I'm anxious and I'm impatient and I'm ready for something and it's not there yet and it's not quite ready. And, and, and she'll simply look at me and with that little smile, she'll say, do you trust him? Do you trust God? Isn't that annoying? <laughs> trust the process. Trust the process. You're listening to someone who understands this. Trust the process. God is in control. God is with you. God's got this. God's got you. He's with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's right beside you. You're, you're moving. He's running right beside you. He's got you. He'll keep you. You can count on that. So, so the Spirit's prompting certain uncertainty, predictable resistance, and then the fourth thing, write this down, last thing, 
uncommon confidence. Confidence. Summary. Paul says, hey, I love it here in Ephesus where I am. It's a great place. I've been prompted by the Spirit. Deo honuma. I know that I'm supposed to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen to me there. There's certain uncertainty. I do know it's going to be difficult, predictable resistance, but I have uncommon confidence. Look at verse 24 from our text. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, now what did the apostle do? He wrote the biggest portion of the New Testament. He planted churches all over the known world. He, he had spiritual experiences that were, were beyond his brilliance and intellect and articulation to actually explain to people. This guy was unusual. He, he changed the world by the inspirational nature of his life. Eternal difference for so many. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is who the Apostle Paul was. Don't miss this next statement. He didn't know what was going to happen in the future. He didn't have a plan for the future. He had a plan to obey the Spirit. He didn't have a five-year plan. It was step by step. I don't know the details. I know it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. I know it's not going to be easy. I'm certain, though, that God wants me to glorify Jesus wherever I am. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I just, I'm going to be faithful today. I'm being prompted by the Spirit. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I like it here, but I, I got to go there. I'm not even sure why. It's not going to be easy. Don't know what's going to happen. It's going to, going to be some suffering involved, but that's where I'm going. And so here's what the apostle teaches us, that it's all about Jesus. Apostle Paul said, if I'm in front of a big crowd, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. If I, if I am thrown into prison and I have extra time on my hands, I'm going to write about Jesus. If they chain me next to a prison guard in jail, I'm going to lead the prison guard to Jesus. <laughs> if, if, if they beat me to within an inch of my life and leave me for dead, I'm going to call out to Jesus because it's all about glorifying Jesus. Now, the question then for us is how does this apply? How does this apply to our lives right now? Where am I supposed to be? What about my passion? What about my calling? Well, here's what, here's what we learned from the apostle. If you're making tents, then serve Jesus making tents. If you're waiting tables, serve Jesus waiting tables. If you're a stay-at-home mom, then serve and glorify Jesus as a stay-at-home mom. If you're a grad student, serve Jesus there. Wherever you are, whatever you do, make Jesus the focus of your life. What do you want me to do, God? It's the wrong first question. The right first question is, who do you want me to become? Why do you want me to do that? Because the who always becomes before the do and the why before the what. So when we get the who right, God will lead us to the right do. When we get the why right, it's easier to discern the what. So at some point in the Apostle Paul's life, see, understand this guy. He was full of himself. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As I've mentioned, he had, a, he had an incredible resume. It was as strong and as impressive as anybody alive in those days. And he, and he knew he was all that. But at some point, watch this now, at some point, it stopped being about him. 
He's basically saying to us in this text, I consider my life worth nothing to me. He said, look, it's not about me anymore. And it's not about us anymore. It's only about him. It's only about Jesus. He's all I care about. And finishing the mission he's given me. And that mission is to share this wonderful grace and hope that comes by faith in him. So at one point, the apostle Paul said, look, it's not about me. It's about making a difference for Jesus' sake. And this is, this is where I wanna live, friends. This is, this is what I wanna do. This is how all of us should order our lives and get the perspective we need about the future. Because if you're trusting Jesus and it's all about him and it's no longer about you, then listen to me, when you, when you arrive in that moment, you don't worry any longer about the future. It's not about you. It's only about him. And when you live for him, I'm no longer worthy, he said. I count my life as worth nothing. Listen, that's not preacher talk. He's not sitting there going, you know, what would really sound impressive if I wrote it down here? How could, I, how could I really yank somebody's chain? Oh, I know, I'll just tell them, I think my life is worth nothing. It's only, only about Jesus and his mission. <laughs> he's, he's not just talking. This is who he became. This was a guy who was ultimately full of himself and ultimately became empty of himself and only for Jesus' sake. Now there's a great, there's a great insight here, friends. We have an entire generation now that's emerging into the world. Again, what are their priorities with how they spend their life? I want to love what I do. I want to make a difference. I want to make a lot of money. It's the wrong foundation, friend. It's the wrong value system. It's the wrong focus. The way that you find your life And the way you find yourself and the way you find your mission and the way you find fulfillment and worthiness in this life is to make it all about him. Make it all about him. Because I promise you, when you do, you'll stop worrying about the future. And you'll start taking the steps, trusting the process as he guides your life day by day. Last night I went to a went to a reunion, got invited uh, by some of my former high school teammates, uh, and we were going to celebrate our high school basketball coach. Uh, he's a, a great high school coach, great record, um, I don't know, like an 81% winning record for his whole career, you know, in the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, last night, I shook his hand, thanked him for making a difference in my life, and then I said, you're welcome. And so it was, a, it, was a great, it was a great fest. But think about this, almost 50 years ago, now there's a bunch of geezers in a room. The, the most frequently asked question was, are you retired? When are you going to retire? The most, common, the most common piece of discussion was uh, Medicare. What do you know about Medicare? <laughs> it, was, it, was, uh, it was interesting. 
This is the most frequent question that I get these days. When are you going to retire? Listen to me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, so you should make plans. I don't have any plans. So I've walked with Jesus now about 45 years. I've learned to trust the process. I'll be done when Jesus is done with me. That's when I'll be done. I don't know when that is. I can't see the future. I'm not making any predictions. I'm not pretending that I know. All I know is the next step. I came home last night. What's my next step? Get up and preach this message. That's the next step. See what God, see what God might do. Are you, are you hearing this? It's no longer about, it's all about him. It's about him. God is doing something in your life through these messages, through all of the other circumstances of life. God is doing something in you, every last single one of you, because God wants to do something through you. It's not about you. It's about making a difference with your life for Jesus' sake. Because I promise you, a hundred years from now, that's all that will matter. Nothing else will matter. Nothing. Nothing will register. Except what you've done for him. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The answer is, I got it. Here's the question. Did you get it? Did you get it? Let's pray. Lord, uh, this morning we thank you for this powerful example through the life of the Apostle Paul. We ask then that you would lead us, guide us, empower us step by step. Holy Spirit, you are welcome to prompt us. Prompt us. We don't know what's going to happen, but you do. So prompt us. The only thing we're certain about is the uncertainty. So give us faith. Give us faith. Because it's impossible to please you without it. We know that resistance is part of it. It gets difficult. We suffer sometimes as Jesus followers. So Lord, help us, every one of us, to get over our whining. How easy it is for us to whine. So help us to put on our big boy pants and hitch up our skirts and get back in the game. Get back in there. And then, Lord, give us confidence. Give us confidence. I wonder if you're in the room today and you'd say, look, Pastor Greg, I'm a Jesus follower, and I want to be even more sensitive to the Deo Honuma moments. I want to be led by the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit. I want to be sensitive to when the Holy Spirit prompts me. I want to sense Him. I want to respond. I want to know when God is pulling me, drawing me. If that's your prayer this morning, just raise your hand. I want to be more sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in my life. So many, that's so great. Yeah, I hope that's just everyone. So, Father, I thank you that you are the guide.
Jesus, you are the good shepherd who guides his sheep. Your sheep know your voice. They hear you. They follow you. And so I thank you that you're a speaking God and that you will speak to us. Now, let me just tell you, if you're sincere about that kind of praying, you're going to start noticing. You're going to start noticing the times now that God prompts you. You'll, you may even be surprised at how often he prompts you. Some of you, for example, you won't be able to leave a building, no matter what the building is. You won't be able to leave that building without reaching out to someone. You walk in there and you go, okay, who, who is it today, Lord? Who's the person who needs to be encouraged? Who's the person who needs prayer, word, a, a good word of hope? Some of you, God's going to prompt you to start giving like you never have. And don't, don't let the noise keep you from hearing God about that. Some, for some, God's going to prompt you to serve. Maybe you're out of the game. It's time to get back in the game. Maybe you've never been in the game. It's time to get in. Get in the game. God's going to prompt some of you to pray for someone, to invite someone, take them out for dinner, encourage them, invite them. You just watch. You'll see. You'll sense the Spirit of God prompting you. So this morning, Lord, we pray, give us ears to hear your voice, eyes to see your direction, a heart submitted to do what you want through our lives. Guide us, advise us, counsel us, comfort us, compel us. Lord Jesus, we want to live our lives focused on you. That's our prayer. Thanks for hearing us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Would you stand with us?